The Olympic Channel podcast is brought to you by Bridgestone, worldwide Olympic and Paralympic partner, a founding partner of the Olympic Channel. Olympic Channel podcast. My name is Ed Knowles and this is the official Olympic Channel podcast. The USA women's sabre team went into Rio 2016 hoping for the best, but knowing that pulling off a result would be well, hard. Monica Aksamit never gives up though. She was an alternate on the team and actually managed to do her bit to secure the Olympic bronze medal, a dream come true. But while the sporting triumph is incredible, it's Monica's dedication to fencing through thick and thin that is most impressive. She's battled through a fractured back, financial difficulties, and won gold at the Pan Am Games in 2019, where she actually brought a dog back from that trip, which was in Peru. In short, she lives a life with kindness, heart, and determination. So, hello, Monica. How are you doing? Hi, thanks for having me. Um, you know, it's 2020, so we're all just trying to survive out here. That's, that's the only answer I have. I know. I know. I do not feel good today, but, you know, here we are in the here and now. How has it been for you so far? Um, it's It's been rough. It's definitely been rough. Um, this has probably been the worst year of my life. Um, we've had family disease. We've had a death. Um, obviously, the Olympics being postponed has, you know, changed everything. A lot of unknowns. Who even really truly knows if there will be an Olympics next year? So it's it's obviously a lot of stress being an Olympian that's trying to go for an Olympics. I mean, in general, an athlete trying to compete at the Olympics, it's difficult. Yeah, it's like an impossible situation with this new, like, impossible jigsaw piece just, like, kind of slotted in on top of it, basically. It's hard. I mean, what is the current fencing situation? Is there anything going on? Like, what is happening internationally? Nothing, I assume. You know, what is the situation? Um, so from what I understand, there's nothing happening uh, internationally. I believe, if I remember correctly, everybody is supposed to be starting in January. Um, I know the U.S. World Cup is supposed to be in Salt Lake, but it's not even confirmed by the, by the United States. So who really even knows if that can happen? Um, but... I mean, we're, there's some places that are allowed to train currently. I know some gyms were closed in California, so I'm not sure that the fencers are currently training in California. I mean, everything just keeps changing. Yeah, uh, that's why it's so difficult. That's why I've just been like totally blunt and honest with people. Now I'm like, what is going on? I don't even know. Like, it's so hard to keep up with everything. One day something's happening and the next day the borders close because our numbers are skyrocketing. So it's... It's hard as an athlete and somebody that's come from, I don't know, like what, 20, 20 something years of knowing what my entire week looks like, what next month looks like, what next year looks like, what four years down the line look like to I'm not able to even like plan for like the end of the week because again, you don't know what's going to happen. So it's definitely been, that's been a huge change and that's been something that's been really difficult these last few months. Mm, yeah. So let's go right right the way back then and let's talk about how you got into fencing. How did you start fencing rather than, you know, playing softball or, you know? My first fencing coach was a client the, the bank my mom worked at. It was a Polish-Slavic Federal Credit Union because um, we're all Polish and my family. Um, and he just talked to her and he's like, hey, like you should bring her in. Um, it's a great way for a scholarship. 
you know, maybe she'll like it. And I mean, I was eight, eight and a half. They handed me a sore. They said, hit the other kid. Um, I did. Everybody clapped and cheered. And it was, I mean, again, who doesn't want to be hitting children at the age of like eight and a half, you know, and then being like, good job. Amazing. Sign me up. So what, what was it when did you just sort of realize that actually you were actually really good and this wasn't just some kind of hobby? This is something that you could actually pursue a bit more seriously. I don't know. I always really liked it. And I guess not like I'm an aggressive person, but like I'm competitive. I don't really know how to explain it. Um, and I, whenever I put myself into anything, I want to be the best at it. So I, I don't know, I guess it was fun for me and I wanted to be the best and I kept doing it, but I don't know if there was like a point where I really thought that I was good, but I just, when I was watching the 2004 Olympics, um, when Marielle Zagunas won the first gold medal for women's saber and obviously the United States, I was sitting on my grandparents' couch in Poland. And I remember watching the entire thing, um, on their super old TV. The fact that we could even pick up these channels was phenomenal. But I remember watching that happen. I watched the whole thing consumed by it. And I told my grandparents, I was like, I, this is what I want to do. Like I one day want to be at the Olympics. And I remember like, they were like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Go for it. You know, like, and I just said the same thing when I came back to the States to my mom, and I was like, you know, like I, I my goal is the Olympics. Like that's, that's what I want to do. I want to be at the Olympics and same thing. She was like, mm, okay, well, Go for it. Because again, I was like 14 years old and I mean, kids changed their ideas and that was, I don't know. I Nobody in my family has ever like been a professional athlete. So that already seemed crazy enough. My mom was just happy that I got a scholarship to Penn State, so. Well, yeah, I mean, that is like literally every mom's dream, to be honest, that, that you can get into that situation. Yeah, so. I mean, in America, it's, it's a fortune to pay off school for it, so. Yeah, and such an amazing school as well. Like, take me through the timeline then. So when do you uh, have your first run at the Olympics? Um. So, well, I qualified for the senior national team in, I think it was 2009. I'm pretty sure, unless it was 2008, but I think it was 2009. Um, no, it, it definitely 2009. So that kind of was like when I was like, okay, like this is actually possible um and maybe even beforehand uh, i i don't remember maybe it was kim maybe that was the first time where i was like okay maybe i could do this uh, i don't remember what maybe 2008 london and i i, I fenced a korean that in the previous world championships got bronze i remember Sada jacobson was coaching me and she didn't tell me who it was but i almost beat her i think it was like 15 13 15 14 and it was really close and she afterwards, she's like, you don't know who that is, do you? And I'm like, no. And she's like, well, she just had a bronze at World Championships and you you literally almost just took her out. So I remember that's when I was kind of like, whoa, like this isn't some wild dream. Maybe I could do this. And then the World Championships um, qualifying for the senior team. I was like, okay, like this, this isn't that far-fetched. I can actually do this. When you do finally make it, When's that? That's like, how does that happen in fencing? And can you explain that moment, you know, of making the, the team for Rio 2016? Um, well, first of all, everybody knew except me. I was the last person to find out. Um, so for fencing, it's, we have, it happened, it could have happened differently. There's a few scenarios. So you could qualify as early as like, I think what, February, as long as it's in like in your country, as long as it's like proven that you will qualify internationally, kind of. 
you can qualify as early as like February if you're high enough on international point standings and then you can qualify in your country as long as nobody else can beat you like by points. Um, for me, it happened at the last international qualifying tournament because nobody else could pass me in points after that point, even though that we still had one more competition that I would qualify as. So for me, it happened in Korea where it was already crazy the like I, in January, I was ranked 11th in the United States. So it, I came off having the best season of my life to not being able to perform no matter what I did. I was training harder. I had a sports psychologist, but like things just weren't coming together. Um, so everybody already wrote me off, but I kind of just, I don't know. I, everything clicked at the right time. So I started having, I had a 32 in, in Athens, I had a 32 in Belgium. And then in Korea, it was just kind of like between four people for the alternate position, which was just crazy as it is. Um, I had the world's hardest pool. I don't remember everybody, but I had two Koreans. I had Budiaf, I had Galia Barova. Oh, I do remember everybody. I had Navara, Navaria and some Brazilian girl. When I remember when I looked at this pool, I was like, why? Like, why did they put everybody in this pool? Like, is Carlon next? Um, but again, I just kind of was like, you know what? Like, whatever. I'm going to go hit these people. If it happens, it happens. And I just want to walk off with no regrets. I'm glad it's funny for you. It was very traumatic at the time. <laughs> I just remember looking at this pool and I was like, cool. <laughs> All right. But I, I lost to Navaria 5-4 and I beat everybody. I just became like at this competition, I literally was like in this bubble in my head where it didn't matter what you were saying to me. I spoke to... My coach, Yuri Gelman, wasn't there because he had to be here at NCAA, for NCAAs. But I was with Zoran, because who was with the men's team. And like he would speak and I would hear him and I didn't hear anything else. So I killed it in pools, which was just wild to me. Um, and then we had DEs. My first bout was with Kian from China, which who I fenced before. Also not an easy bout, but it's somebody that I fenced before. So I was like, okay, like this is definitely doable. Um, I fenced fine. I won. And then Eileen Grant from Panama beat, um, Aza Bezbez. So that was already just like, she's somebody I've been tra like competing against in the United States when she was on the U S team. Um, and I've just, I've somehow always had like our, our skills kind of just are opposite. And I've always just had an easier time fencing with her. So I was like, okay, sounds good. And I beat her. And then everybody's congratulating me. And I was like, I mean, I just made a top 16, guys. Like, this isn't a big deal. Like, Yuri's on the phone with me. And he's like, I'm so proud of you. And I was like, why is everybody flipping out? Like, I, it's just the top 16. Like, I got to keep fencing. Calm down, everybody. Meanwhile, everybody's telling me that I just qualified for the Olympics. But like I said, I was in this bubble where, like, I just was like, okay, I'm, I'm fencing. I'm competing. I'm, I'm fencing until I can't fence anymore. So it didn't matter at all to me. Um, and then Kim annihilated me, like murdered me. I, I don't know. Maybe I like subconsciously understood, but it was horrible about, um, and then again, everybody's like going around the venue, like everybody from different countries is coming up and hugging me. And I was like, I, do these people not know I've made a 16 before? What is going on? Literally everybody is coming up to me and like the U S team is all like high-fiving me. They're like, congrats. Like so proud of you. <sighs> Okay. And then, um, Jeremy Summers, our doctor comes up to me and he's like, Hey, can you like, I don't know, like do your makeup if you want or like put on something USA. We're going to go take a photo. 
like U.S. fencing wants a photo still in my head. I'm like, why are we making such a big deal about this result? Like it's only a 16. Like, I, I don't know. I guess I just didn't understand that like everybody already knew. And like, that was like, sure. I don't know. I don't know what it was. And then I remember he was taking a photo and he's like, can you just at least look happy? And I was like, I mean, I am happy. And he's like, okay, just say like Rio or something. And I was like, what? <laughs> why? And he just like stood there like, why do you think we're taking this photo? And I was like, cause I made a 16. And he's like, no, you idiot. You're going to the Olympics. And I kill just still kind of like, when you look at the photos and me kind of be like, oh, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? And I call my mom sobbing, crying. And like my mom answered, it was like 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. And she's like, oh my God, I'm so proud of you. I was like, how do you know? <laughs> I'm telling you, I was literally the last person and I was still in disbelief. And on like the bus back to the hotel, I like the Polish team was talking to me. And they're like, did you qualify? I'm like, that's what people are telling me. But like, I don't really know that they know. I don't know. And then I got into the lobby and like, that's when my phone connected to Wi-Fi, And I started getting all of these messages, all of these text messages, like notifications from Instagram, Facebook, whatever. And that's when I was like, oh, okay, okay, cool. And then I started crying hysterically on like the lobby of the hotel. So that's how I found out the last person. Really low key story. Yeah, it's, it's so funny telling people because they're like, how did you not know? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how I didn't understand. But again, and that's really, I think that's the whole reason I qualified is I just came into like in myself, nothing else mattered. Everything just bounced off of me. And there was like, when I look back at everything, like it all makes sense. Like um, <clears throat> the Argentinian girl let me her wireless shirt because mine failed and she needed me to beat Eileen to qualify. And she was just kind of like, like she like enthusiastic, she just lost. So I felt bad giving it to her. But like, we also talked about it and she's like, I feel like it was kind of like faith, like that you came up to me even like, because I needed you and like, you just knew to come up to me. And I was like, yeah, you were like crying, but like, I know we're like, cool. So I asked and she's like, no, like I was ecstatic to be helping you. And she was just like, she was like, yes. Okay. And like, all of a sudden started smiling. I was like, this girl just lost. And she's like, Ex excited for me to get her shirt. <laughs> what? And she's like, yeah. And she's like, I literally was just like sitting, like pleading. And she's like, I was hoping like my shirt would bring you good luck. So well, again, when I look back on all these things, it's kind of like, I don't know how I didn't know, but thank God I was in such a place inside of myself that I, nothing else, it probably would have thrown me off otherwise. I mean, Rio, it's, um, it seems like a different, completely like an alternate universe, you know, uh, now. But um, it was amazing, the US uh, fencing team uh, in Rio. It was, it was a real massive moment, I felt, you know, with Ibtihaj Muhammad being the um, first Muslim American woman to wear a hijab while competing. And then as a team... Um, you know, taking the bronze medal, which is, it's an incredible achievement. It means you're an Olympic medalist. I mean, how was it for you on the inside? Again, again, we're going to know it's a story. Um, 
Well, first of all, I mean, it was crazy because I was an alternate. So I didn't even know if I was going to be competing and or becoming an Olympian. And like even thinking about getting a medal, like people were talking like, what are your expectations? I was like, to fence. <laughs> like if I'm just going to be allowed to like stand out there and compete, I'm, I already accomplished everything I wanted. Um, so the, and like, then again, interviewers are like, are you hoping for a medal? And something that a lot of people don't know is us as a team, we had the worst season ever. We didn't medal a single time that season. Like it was, it was a train wreck. Every world cup for team was an absolute train wreck. Like something, somebody would always mess up. Um, or like, it was just horrible. Like the amount of times we cried as a team that season is just, is just wild. Um, so like nobody expected us to be winning a medal. I don't think, I don't think there was a single person in that venue where I was there where they were like, I mean, again, we were possible, but no one was like, Oh my, like, you know, the American team is definitely winning a medal. Um, so that was wild. And then, I mean, for me being there, I had so much stress. I actually had a rib pop out because that's how much stress I had. My body like just all seized up. We couldn't get it back in. So I couldn't turn my neck at a certain point. So even like putting on my mask, I had to do it in a strange way. Um, and I didn't sleep the night before, obviously. So that was a lot. Um, and then just sitting on the sidelines, it was kind of like, it's just all seemed like a dream. But the entire time I'm kind of like, while I do want to fence, the entire time I'm like, you know, if I don't fence, it's, I think it's okay. <laughs> like we almost lost to Poland and I'm just sitting there, I'm like, I'm actually really happy I'm not out there. Like, I don't know how I would feel right now, like in this situation. Um, obviously, like cheering on my team. Obviously, I want us to win, but it was kind of like, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm cool. I'm I'm glad this seat's warm right now. Um then we lost against Russia, which was really upsetting considering we were up. But I don't know, I think it was also I don't know, like people's standpoints on the other side. I think I kind of helped the situation because everyone was really upset. Again, so was I, but I wasn't out there fencing. So I didn't feel the same amount of hurt, I guess. You know what I mean? Like I didn't, I, everybody held, felt responsible for sure. And you always do as a, in the team, like you could have done more, you could have scored points. You could have scored all the points possible. And you're like, I should have done more. Um, so I didn't have, I didn't feel that guilt and responsibility because again, I wasn't out there. So I was, I was the most positive out of everybody. Um, I definitely got like some like, I don't know, like snide remarks. I'm sure like, I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I'm sure somebody like said something of like, you know, shut up, whatever. And I was like, no, it's fine. Like we have another chance. Um, so yeah, so I tried to be like extra positive and extra like, I don't really care what they're going to say right now. I'm going to be the whole, like the whole spirit team. Um, and then I remember coming back into the venue again, warming up, trying to be a goofball, and then like, we kind of all watched video and we all amped each other up and we're like, all right, we're going to like, we're going to go out and kill Italy. And then I remember actually Marielle and I had a moment where I like sat down at the time and I was like, Hey, like, can I, t like, can I have like five minutes of your time? And she's like, yeah, sure. And I told her the story of how like watching her at the 2004 Olympics was like the reason why I wanted to become an Olympian. And I remember like, I teared up, like even talking about I'm tearing up, like being back there. Um, and I was like, yeah, I was like, you know, now here we are. I'm sitting alongside of you. I'm going to be out on the strip with you trying to win a medal. And that's crazy to me. Um, I have goosebumps. And I remember she was like, she was like, I've never heard this story. That's crazy. Thank you for telling me. So that was a really cool moment to share. Anyways, back to warming up where the story begins. Um, and Ed comes up to me and he's like, hey, be ready. And he kind of always does that in teams. 
like team events of like, you know, he always wants his alternate prepared and ready to go. You could go out any moment. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, no, like you're going to be fencing. I was like, what? Me? I, I don't know about that. He's like, yeah. He's like you and the, like the coaches decided beforehand that both the alternates are going to like basically decide who wins a medal. So like, no matter what the score was, the third to last bout, um, or second, second to last bout, I don't remember now which one it was. Whatever, like the last round of three people, the alternate's gonna fight, fight it out. Uh, so I remember, like, I went from like goofy whatever to like, oh my god, I was not ready for this information. Um, and I was like, okay, sounds good, all right. And then like Yuri and I talked, kind of, and I still was like, yeah, okay. And I was like, are you sure I'm ready? He's like, yes, you're ready. That's why you're here. I was like, oh, okay, I'm, okay, sounds good. And then, um, and we didn't have a lot of time. So I had the sports psych walk over with me. I was like, hey, can you come with me? I need to go to the bathroom. We don't have a lot of time, but like, I need to talk. And she's like, okay. And I started talking a mile a minute and like going, going through everything. And I was like, you know, like there's no difference between the Olympics and like a regular competition. This is the same thing. This is the exact same thing. There's difference. There's strips. We're still fencing. It doesn't matter. There's just cameras outside, but that doesn't matter. Like, you know, just people watching people actually care doesn't matter and I was like I fenced her before and I've beat her before and like I can beat her now and I'm like I just need five touches and I just need to like have a plan and like I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll get off the strip and like nothing will actually even like get to me and it'll be fine and she was like do I say anything <laughs> are you okay and I was like no I'm fine I'm good thank you thank you for actually I said everything that I needed to say and I'm good I'm ready and she's like you're ready you feel right I'm like yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like I'm gonna kill her I'm, I'm fine I'm good um and we go, we at work, we go out there, whatever. And we're like fencing. And like, again, this, this whole thing, like I felt the entire time, like, and I've been to so many like world cups and like team events. And, but the entire time everyone's fencing, we're like, I'm at the Olympics. This is crazy. We're fencing for a medal. Um, again, uh, just wild. And then they, and Yuri, or somebody, I forget who, I know Yuri and I talk, but someone was like, okay, like you're next. And I kind of like got up and I was like, uh, okay, I don't know how to do this anymore. And I remember Yuri was talking to me, like giving me a pep talk. And there's a camera, like literally in my, like right here. And I'm just kind of talking to him like, can we, I don't need this right now. Anyways, getting to the moment of fencing, I was up four one against Bianco killing it. I felt great. Like my whole pep talk felt great. And then wireless malfunctions. <sighs> that was the worst thing ever. It like kind of malfunctioned after the first second or first point, but they fixed it really quickly. And then it malfunctioned again. And I know, I think, I think Marielle came up or T, I don't, I don't know. There was like three people around me. I think it was like the ref and like whatever DT. Um, and in that time frame, it was so long. It felt like an hour. <clears throat> but everything registered to me. And I was like, I just need one more point. But I'm at the Olympics. Everybody's watching. Oh my God, there's so many people here in the stadium. Wow, do you think, like this is literally all happening in my head. I was like, do you think Obama's watching this? What if I blow this? Will I be allowed back in the country? Is anybody even going to talk to me? Wow, we're up by a lot of touches. Huh. Okay, so I need to like figure this out, right? I just need one more. It's fine. It's not a big deal. We can, yeah, we can do this. And all of a sudden I blacked out. I didn't know what happened until I watched the video later. Um, 
I just knew everything was happening in slow motion. She was like going to hit me. And I remember being like, okay, like trying to parry nothing. Like I just it couldn't, I couldn't put pieces together. And again, I blacked out. Um, but then there's a moment where I hear like everybody screaming behind me one more. And I was like, one more, one more. I just need one more touch. Just one more touch. Okay. 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 We've been on here for too long. I don't need this anymore. This is a lot. And I was like, let's just like, stop, take it back. Like, how did I score my points? How is she scoring her points? How can I simplify this so much that I can get off the damn strip? Um, and I remember I, like, she was attacking me. She always cut to like five. So like, okay, I'm just going to like fake in, fake and come out. I'm going to let her miss from like really far away and block. And then I'm like, she's all she's been doing is counterattacking, And I'm going to make it like the simplest attack humanly possible. And I just remember like going to the end of the strip and like, I saw her counterattacking. I was like, all right, whack the shit out of her. <laughs> like just hit her. And I just like turned around. I saw two lights. I was like, amazing. Like, please let me get off this strip. And I remember I get off and like all the coaches are laughing, like high five me. They're like, pressure got to you. And I was like, yeah, holy shit, that was awful. <laughs> I'm from the UK. I'd love to bring my medal home to New Jersey, you know, and like have the party and everybody go crazy. Or, I mean, is that, I assume that's what happens, right? You know, I don't think it's usually famous for being, you know, quiet, you know, or what happened when you brought it back, the medal? Um. So my, I mean, it, it's funny because it's like, I think it would have been a, a lot bigger of a, not that it's like, it's not a big deal, but like, it would have been even more of a production had like you come home like the next day or whatever, but like you come back two weeks later. So like your family's kind of, and your friends are like, yeah, 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 like amazing. But like, we're, we're kind of over like the ecstatic, enthusiastic thing. Cause it's been around for so long. You know what I mean, which is like, it's logical. Like we've already accepted you're a medalist, whatever. Um, we didn't have a party in my house, but my mom had, my neighbors knew, so like there was somebody hung, we don't even know who, but somebody hung like a medal on our, like a fake medal on our mailbox. Um, my, my sister and my mom made signs. My mom picked me up at the airport. It was like, we landed at 6 a.m. And she's like, she's like, of course I'll come get you. You're a medalist. I'll get up out of bed for this. Um, yeah, my family didn't have a party from what I remember. I know we had like a dinner. We had cake and champagne. My mom poured champagne on me. Um, but the bigger party was my friends threw me a party party in New York, and that was pretty cool. I see. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In my head, I had this, like, mad Jersey party going on in the... Uh, like we had a parade. Cool. That was cool. <laughs> yeah. How was that? Again, like, all these things, is, it's just kind of wild because I've never... I don't know, like, ac accomplishing, like, your biggest dream is is just such a weird feeling because... It's just kind of like, I've wanted this for so long. And like, there were times I really didn't think this was happening. And here we are and it happened. And you're just kind of like, did it really happen? Am I really here? Did I really do this? So that's kind of like everything that was happening afterwards. And like, still to this day, like things just happen. You're like, I really still can't believe that I'm here. Like this all, this all worked out for me. So yeah, I mean, it obviously was incredible. Like they had a whole fire truck for me. There was like people walking in front with a giant sign for me. Like there was a giant sign in the street. 
hanging, congratulating me. So like, obviously it was incredible. That's amazing. I, I, I love it. I love it. I'm, like I say, I'd like to take my medal back to New Jersey. I love the place. It's amazing. Um, yeah, so I've got some things that happened after Rio now, and I'm not sure in what order they happen in, but can you help me out? So I have the injury. Where, the Adopting the dog in Peru. And what is the... Oh, and then the fundraising stuff, which I guess happens like towards the end of last year. But I guess with any financial things, that is the end of like a long journey, basically, of things not being okay, right? I mean, so what? What inju- where, where should we start? Do we start with the, the injury? Well, actually, let's go with the order. So actually, I fundraised yeah. before Rio. Right. Yeah, of course. Um, and then I had to do it a second time last year. Um, injury, I think you're talking about my back injury. Yes, a broken back, right? It's like a, yeah. Um, that actually happened in May before Rio. It's fractured for the rest of my life, I found out. And they told me this a year later. No, more than that. I found out last year at a training camp. Nobody bothered to tell me that this was, I'm dealing with this forever. It's, it was hilarious, but not at the same time. It was like, I didn't care. Like I was injured, but it, like it, none, nothing mattered. They could have been like, you're never going to walk again if you compete. And I was like, that's fine. <laughs> I don't care. That wasn't the case, but like they could have told me anything. Um, <clears throat> but they told me it was a, it was a pars. I don't even know if they said fracture. I, mean, I think they might've just said pars. Um, and I was like, okay, yeah, cool. And, and they're like, you need to take, hold on. Cause this is going to be somebody's at our door and we're just going to hear dogs. Okay, we're back. We have very protective dogs, and they have to make sure nobody steals us. Even the FedEx man. Stop. That's actually the Peruvian <laughs> dog. Stop. Hey. Okay. Um, right, injury. So they said I need 68 weeks off, like I said, in May. And they said pars fracture, or you have a pars. I don't remember exactly, but I didn't even understand that it was a fracture. So remember I called Jeremy, our doctor, I was like, what does any of this mean? Like, what is going on? Like, he's spoken so many scientific terms. Like, I can you just break this down for like idiot terms? And it was like, oh, like you, and he also tried to downplay it because you also don't want to tell an athlete of, like that qualified for the Olympics, about to go to the Olympics, that like, you know, they their back is broken for the rest of their lives. <laughs> so you're just kind of like, oh, it's like this no big deal. Like, you got a little like chip in your vertebrae, it's fine. Like, you know, we're kind of just going to figure out, I had steroids at the time, like everything reported, of course. And he's like, you're just going to come in all the time to the office. Like, I'll come see you. Like, it'll be fine. No big deal. But I was in so much pain. I had to wear a back brace. I couldn't change the direction really quickly because it was like this shooting pain. I couldn't lunge. It was shooting pain, but we made it work. So, um, and then after the Olympics, I had to take like three and a half months off because I kept constantly having pain. Cause it was just like, everything was swollen on the outside. Um, it's better now. And I've learned to kind of just manage it. Wow. I, I thought it was, you were, I don't know. I just thought it was all right now, but no, it's not. I mean, it's, it is, it's fine. Again, I learned to manage yeah. it, but it's still broken. Yeah. So yeah, I have a, I have broken back. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that is big. That's a big one. Uh, Let's, the the financial stuff, let's talk about that then. So I think it's kind of a misconception that a lot of people have is that when you 
get your ticker tape parade, let's say, you know, when you have the, the medal, that all your financial worries will go away. But actually, it, it's, it doesn't happen like that. And, and uh, yeah, can you explain about, about that? Yeah, so um, you do get money, you get reward money for your medal, which in the US they did change right before Rio, you used to get taxed on it, which was crazy. Um, but, <clears throat> but no, and I, I was the same way that I thought that like, okay, here I, here I got a medal, like it's gonna be a lot easier, I'm gonna be able to find an agent, I'm gonna be able to sign sponsorships because you know, how many medalists are there really out there? And I had a conversation with um, an agent and we kind of talked and he's like, well, and he's like, you know, why should I sign you? And he's like, there's 121 medalists. And I remember I broke down crying after that. I was like, so I'm literally like, I'm still just one of many, like I'm still not special. And especially like I'm in a niche sport that like nobody cares about. So like, shit, I didn't consider any of these things. Like, you know, like they much rather sign a, an athlete from a bigger, more popular sport than fencing. So like, not only like I'm one of many, I'm still at the bottom of like the whole list. So that was really upsetting and really difficult. And yeah, you just still have to kind of figure it out. Like, thankfully there is Instagram. So that has helped, um, you know, bring in deals and the more followers you have, obviously the more relevant and important you are in the whole scheme, like grand scheme of like uh, sponsorships and stuff. So having to navigate through that was really, was really difficult because again, you just think it's going to be a lot easier. And, and meanwhile, it was the same. I was the same person as I was before Rio when I was an Olympian. I wasn't a medalist. And that was just kind of, you know, not really how I thought it was going to go. Yeah, I think so. It, I mean, you're really good at Instagram and you're really good. I feel like uh, it's brave thing. You have to be quite self-assured to say, look, I'm, I need help uh, with money. You have secured your money up toward up to Tokyo, I believe, right? Um, yes, but no, because right. we had almost the entire season before Tokyo. So I used that money. And then like I had purchased tickets even for Belgium Belgium that I money that I never got back. So I'm I never got back. I think it was like a thousand two hundred dollars or something along that. So I went through a majority of that money literally for like kind of nothing. <laughs> So, um, <clears throat> again, figuring things out, um, during quarantine, just started doing different things where I could be getting some kind of an income. Um, the USOC did have a whole stipend program where they did grant, um, funds, same thing with us fencing. So I did get a grant, which that's amazing. So I'm, I'm fine. Well, I'm fine for the next few months. Thankfully, I got so excited that I almost knocked over my computer. <laughs> Oh, it's good. I'm glad. I'm glad that it's there is a little bit of light at the end because I know it's such such a difficult time and such a difficult year. And so, yeah, um, I'm glad about that. Uh, but I, I guess it is just going to be hard times for everybody in in the in the run up. So, let's talk about your dog then. You have you have several dogs, but you were in Machu Picchu or something. I remember. And then you came back with a dog and I was like flicking through the YouTube video. I remember at the time, I'd be like, what? What's even happened in this? So yeah, what what did happen? <laughs> Nobody planned for this. Um, <clears throat> but okay, so right after we competed, the next day I convinced um, Eliza to, Eliza Stone to move her ticket, push it back so she could come with me to Machu Picchu because I was already going. 
So I was like, come, like you want to do it. You have somebody to go with. You're not alone. You should come with me. Cool. So we arrived like kind of everything like after that was like last minute because I was going to be solo traveling. So I had a different plan. So we got there. We ended up getting the last two spots to go up to Machu Picchu um, of because it's a it's a whole trek. So from Cusco, you have to take a some kind of transport, which is usually a van. Um, Cause it's like an hour journey, hour and a half, something like that. And from there you take a train and then you hike up Machu Picchu. So we literally had like the last two spots on the train. They like shoved us on some van at a certain point and hold on. We have a dog drinking water. I'm sure you uh, hear that. No, no, no. It's, it's, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have three dogs in the house cause I'm at my mom's house. So it's um it's a whole mess um right so lat, lat, we got thrown into a van we had so much waiting in between like we had to wait two hours after our van dropped us off at the train station for our train and like the freezing cold we like found a seat like in the train station shivering in a corner um anyways got on the train we also had time before our time that we could go up Maju Picchu so we got an airbnb for like i don't know ten dollars to sleep we got up, we came down, we still had an hour and a half before our train. So she wanted to get an ATM, find an ATM. And we, I mean, there's so do- so many dogs in Peru in general that have no home. And like, there was points where I was eating a meal and I would stop eating the meal to feed the dog. I'm so, like a huge dog lover. So like seeing a starving dog just makes me really sad. So anyway, so she goes over and I was like, I'm so tired. I'm going to sit down. Speaking of which, look who came over. <laughs> it's like we it's like he knows we're talking about him. He's like, "Oh, we're telling my story. Like, I'll be here too, mom." <laughs> so funny. Um, and I'm sitting in this bench and he comes up to me. And I like put my hand out for him and he like sniffs it and okay, stop. Please stop. You're distracting me. Um, so he sniffs my hand and then like comes a little bit closer. I pet him. And the next thing I know, his like two paws are in my lap and he's just like in front of me. And I'm just kind of like saying like, what, who invited you here? Like, I mean, okay. And I like pet him as I'm petting him. He puts up his two back paws and he's just laying down in my lap and he's not a small dog, but I'm still like holding him. And it's just like fun. And then Eliza comes over and she's like, what did you do? Why, why do I have a, like a dirty dog in your lap? And I was like, when I tell you that I didn't even ask for this, you're not going to believe me. She's like, you're right. She's like, you're the one chasing all these dogs, like trying to feed them. Like, there's no way that this dog came up to you. I was like, no, literally just came up to me, crawled into my lap. So we sat for an hour and a half with him just sleeping in my lap. Um, <clears throat> so a lot like homeless dogs don't really get good sleep because they're always constantly, constantly like concerned about what's going on in their surroundings. So he like legitimately started dreaming. Um, like you can tell, tell like a deep sleep. I ended up asking her to go, go find some kind of food. She went to go get him cans of tuna. So we fed him, we gave him water. And then when it was time to go, I'm going to tear up. I still do every time. And when it was time to go, I like pushed him off my lap and I went to hug him and he like grabbed my, my jacket with his teeth. And so I'm like, I start crying. Then he gets up on the bench and tries to like climb on top of me and I'm crying even harder. <clears throat> and then I, as I'm like trying to walk away, he like grabs my legs with his paws, crying hysterically. 
I'm walking towards the train station. He's following us. I'm sobbing out loud at this point. And like, Eliza's like talking to me. She's like, there's no, like, how would you even bring this dog home? Like you have to take him on the train. Then you have to like quarantine him and everything. Like who knows like what diseases he has. Like there's nothing you can do. Like you fed him, you let him sleep. Like there's every, like everything you could do, you've done. Like you can't beat yourself up. And I was like, I know, but I love him so much. We get to the train station um, and we go through the whole thing thing again. He tries to get on top of me. He's grabbing my jacket with his teeth. He's grabbing my, my legs with his paws. So like I'm a huge wreck. So we get on the train and I put a photo on my Instagram story of like, if you, in, like of him. And I'm like, if you see this dog out in Aguas Calientes, like if you could feed it, send me a photo. I really appreciate it. <clears throat> so then people start messaging me. Why don't you do bring the dog home? Um, why don't like, you know, something, something. Then somebody goes, I have a friend that takes care of these situations and she can help you adopt this dog. What? So I'm like, not even like believing this is really happening, but like I respond and I'm like, how, what do you mean? And, um, so yeah. And I was like, in this hour and a half long train ride, I ended up adopting this dog because they're like, here's this contact information. This lady will find you a vet in whatever, in Cusco. They have to send the dog to Lima, but like, this is all arranged. So I'm already like messaging with this woman. And she's like, I already called the vet. Um, then I'm like, I don't even know like how I'm going to finance this. Like what's going on. Like, I don't know how possible this is. My friend who's like a Polish American, she's kind of a celebrity and she's just known for helping animals. Like her Instagram story is just filled with like trying to have dogs adopt homes. She's brought dogs home. So I messaged her and I was like, you know, everybody in this situation, like before I'm getting excited, like, is this even possible? And like, I kind of summarized the story for her and she's like, Oh my God, yes, we're making this happen. I'm going to, I'm going to help you like finance this. We're bringing this dog home. I love this story. And I was like, how did this happen? (laughs) So yeah. Next thing I know the next day I'm going to a vet in the afternoon to go pick up this cage. I ordered an Uber, which he wasn't even supposed to Uber me there. And he was like, I can't Uber you there, but like, let's agree on a price. So like he and I hang out for an hour and a half, like talking, like in his broken English, me and my broken Spanish and my English. Um, I tell him this story and he's like, I'm going to pick you up from the airport or from the train station with his dog. Like, I love this story. Like, don't even worry about your return trip. Like what time's your train? I I ended up getting to a hostel at like, I don't know, 11 PM. I have like the first train out over to Aguas Calientes. Um, and then I have to hike a mile and a half carrying this big cage to the train station. At this point, I'm like, why am I doing all of this? This is stupid. I get to the train station. They try to tell me I can't bring the cage onto the train. So I have to argue with the guy. And I'm like, I've seen you have so much, so much room. Like you can put me on this train. You're making a big deal out of this. So they're kind of like, all right, this green guy over here is arguing with me. Like put her on the train. Um, <laughs> And then I went and I I got there. I asked the hotel lobby if I could leave the cage there while I look for him. Um, I came with a collar and a leash from the, from the vet. So I was like, I can bring him back with me. And then I couldn't find him at first. And I got like really upset. I was like, I've done all this. And this dog is, I don't know, dead somewhere or like, who knows, like went somewhere, who knows where this dog is. But then I spotted him from across the street. I started running like a psychopath for him. He and I like run down the stairs and I start calling him or like, I think I was like, Hey dog, I don't, I don't know. Like what else could I be calling him at the time? And you could kind of see him at first, like stop and look at me. Like who's this crazy woman? And then like, I kept talking to him and you kind of saw his like 
you saw his eyes change and he like got excited and then ran towards me. Meanwhile, this entire time, there's a line of people waiting to get on the bus. So there's so many people watching all this happen. And he like runs to me and like is excited. I like put the collar on him. I'm like walking him on the leash. He's like walking and jumping behind me, like ecstatic. Everybody's clapping. (laughs) It was crazy. And then I got bumped up to first class and Otto, which is his name, got put in a cage like right next to me. And then I had to bring him over to the vet. He stayed in quarantine and then he got shipped over to America. I think the thing that kind of ties this all together, I'm going to try, is that you don't give up. You're quite stubborn and definitely more tenacious than you look and sound sometimes you don't give up you you're like i wouldn't like to take you on no i don't i don't um my family complains about like me being stubborn whatever which i can understand how that's you know annoying character in people but it's it's the fact of i definitely don't give up like same thing like on relationships i don't give up i'm the last one fighting for them um friendship same thing so yeah it's again stubborn is like a quality most people don't really want, but I'm I don't I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for my for my stubbornness. So I'll take it. In the Olympic world, we prefer that you don't give up. <laughs> you are an Aquarius, right? I am do an Aquarius. Li- do you do do you like horoscopes and the zodiac? I used to never believe in it until um two years ago I was I went to a red carpet event and then afterwards we went out to a bar and it was like somebody I actually knew, but like we didn't know each other well. And we were talking about it and he, like, he like asked me a few questions and he's like, oh, cause you're an Aquarius. I was like, what? Where did you get that from? And he like, he was like, oh, cause this, cause this and this, like you're an Aquarius. And I'm like, shut up. What are you talking about? And like, we kind of went through this whole thing and I was like, okay, we're going to guess my family. We're going to guess like, my boyfriend at the time and I like would and he would like ask me questions I would answer them he would literally nail everybody's zodiac signs so I was like all right well I guess I'm a believer so that's kind of how uh, like am I like am I reading the horoscope every day no but I think there's some truth to it like I read others horoscopes and people are like oh you read them and you assume I just like read the qualities and like I read other ones I'm like no it's definitely not me and I read about like my friends and my family and I'm like no it's literally spot on so I think there's some truth to it do you believe in it? Do you think I'm an Aquarius? I, I, hmm, do I believe in it? No. Do I think that there is an element to whenever you talk about personality traits that that does have some effect on the calendar? You know, like if you're born in February, just because of the school year, before, you know, all of the different elements that that, froze up, I believe has an, a, a definite impact on your personality, basically. You know, I'm born before Christmas and that makes a difference, you know, in like the, than having a big summer birthday party, you know? But I also think it's funny. So that's why I ask people about it because Olympians are, are like, they have good and bad personality traits, but usually they've turned those bad ones into useful ones. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's that's kind of how, you know, we all have our strengths and weaknesses and on and off the strip, you have to learn to make it work for you. 
So, exactly. I've got some here. True or false, is Monica? Is Monica impulsive? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you picked up a dog in yeah. the middle yeah. of Peru. I, I mean, sometimes I am, sometimes I'm not. But I, I guess I would say more of, the t- more of the time I am. Okay, next. I'm ready. Charming. I don't think I am, but people tell me that I am. I think you're quite charming. You're funny, right? You've got an outgoing personality. I'm an introvert, which is funny. Like I'm going to have to go. I'm literally, yes, I'm literally going to have to go and like sit in my room after this and not speak to people. It's crazy because people don't believe me, but I'm such an introvert. And then people are like, you're so outgoing. I'm like, I'm really not. That's strange. That's, that's funny to me, for me to hear. I wouldn't have said that. But yeah, I also respect that um, people who have lots of confidence outwardly don't always have, you know, um, confidence in s- certain situations that they appear to have them, basically. Um, spontaneous. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's, For that's, sure. That's definitely proven. Passionate. For sure. I put everything into everything that I'm doing. I'm, I mean, I'm this. I'm working on this podcast, and it's consumed me. That's all I think about nowadays. So, passionate about fencing, passionate about dogs. Yep, that's it. Restlessness makes it difficult for you to not feel bored sometimes. Yeah, I would say that's accurate. Yeah, that's a full house. I think. I think. I yeah, and I think you've turned that package into something really quite powerful and incredible and olympic medalist as well that's great something to celebrate for sure it still feels weird talking about it like yesterday i was i was with um, a friend from high school and like talking about it was it was just interesting like I, it's it's not something that like comes up and like i don't bring it up in conversation for no reason but like being able to talk about it when it does come up is just again like he was like honestly like it brings tears to my eyes like i remember us being in high school and like kind of everybody looking at you like you're kind of crazy because I was never in school. I didn't care about parties. Like I was that different kid. And that's like, you talk to me and you would say something. I was like, no, I don't care. Like you guys can have fun at a party. I'm going to practice. Or like, you know, I went to this competition. Like people are like, oh, what did you do over the weekend? Like, oh, we went to this banger. And I'm like, oh, I just flew to, I don't know, Salt Lake City to compete. You know, or like I was in Ukraine competing and I had to carry all my books in my backpack. So, and he was like, it's crazy that like, you know, like looking at you and like watching this all happen. He's like, you you made your dreams come true. And it's kind of like, shit, yeah. So it's it's nice like reminiscing with somebody about it because it's not something you think about. And like as as an athlete, I think, I think in every category, um, you're always thinking of like the next step and you're never sitting and appreciating it, right? So like I won that medal or we won that medal as a team. And here I was all like, I want to go to the next Olympics and I want to fence for an individual medal. Like I'm not even like done celebrating this accomplishment. I'm already on to the next one. And that's that's definitely I've something I've I've caught myself doing of I'm thinking about the next thing that I could be accomplishing. Monica, yes. Thank you so much for uh, Love the Dog Stories, even better than I expected. Love it. Stay in touch. See you soon. Yes, thank you. Olympic Channel Podcast. A massive thank you to Monica. Her Instagram is great as well. Well worth a follow. She's super interactive. Her handle is just her name, Monica Aksamit. She kind of hinted at it there too. She's launching her own podcast very soon. Looking forward to that. Keep an eye out for that one too. I'm Eddie Knowles with an I and an E on social media if you want to give me a follow. But that is it for now. Stay safe, stay stronger together, and we'll see you very soon. Think like an Olympian.